the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Very Bold Radio and Podcast with your host, Steve Teal, bringing encouragement through God's Word and through inspiring interviews. Go to VeryBold.com for information and updates and email Steve at VeryBold.com. And now here's your host, Steve Teal. Steve Teal here with Very Bold Radio and Podcast. This is our part three interview with Bill Jankowski, Vietnam War Hero. Uh, from the Air Force, and a big part of why I believe my dad is still alive today. Why I got to grow up with a dad is because of what God has done, and I don't want you to miss part three of this interview. So join me as we talk to Bill Jankowski. So as we head to the river, uh, going along and and just uh, roll into this trench, where I had spotted the trenches that they were digging and uh, onto a couple of uh, dead NVA soldiers. Mm -hmm. And so up there, and then we went down into just the thicket along the river, just bamboo and Mm -hmm. and a bunch of other bushes. And that's where the six of us basically then spent the next, you know, five, six hours Mm -hmm. Uh, and while all that, you know, throughout the night, the NVA were just walking up above and they would just Mm. shoot into the bushes, uh, and calling out in Vietnamese. And basically what they were saying is, you know, surrender, uh, because we're going to find you in the morning anyway. Oh my gosh. Uh, and you know, that's what these, the, the South Vietnamese guys told us that, you know, that, right. that they were saying. So, you know, that, I guess, is where it, it comes to. We were just there, and uh, during the night, as we were sitting there, heard tanks south of the river fire up, and so I'm on the radio uh, saying... Hey, the tanks are fired. We can hear them moving. So the facts that were covering me at night, uh, they put in airstrikes because all of a sudden you would hear the fighters overhead, and then you would see a flare. They'd pop a flare, which then would illuminate, and you know. So they were hitting enemy troops south of the river mm, yeah. all night while we were there. Well, then. You know, you get to where the Lord comes in. And, yeah. You know, there's a saying, I guess it started maybe World War One or World War Two, that there are no atheists in a foxhole. Right. And uh, I I really say I, I had grown up in the church, but I really not, and at that time especially, hadn't really... Uh, 
practiced, you know, my Christian faith. Yeah. But as I was sitting there, it was, well, Lord, if you help me out of this one, I will try to live my life for you. Yeah. And unbeknownst to me, but after talking to your dad, he was saying the same thing. Yeah. That he offered that prayer up to the Lord too. And then something that I didn't know and he didn't know, but uh, apparently you all back where you were at that time, right. that your church, that there was a youth pastor or something who had said that he thought that your dad needed to be prayed for. Yes, yeah, yeah. We talked. I talked to my mom and dad the other day. I interviewed them on Thursday. So, yep, talked about that children's group, and then talked about the man who was leading a women's and then a men's Bible study. And at night, that Tuesday night, that's what he said. Yeah, we need to pray. He's in trouble. Yeah. yeah. So you know, and and like I mentioned earlier, yeah. when you talk about the Lord being in it all, that you know, if I would have been picked up by one of those Jolly Greens, I wouldn't have been there with your dad and those yeah. guys to be able to have a radio to, to help out. So, yeah. yep. you know, the Lord had it all planned as it was. Yeah. So uh, we just spent probably two or three hours. And like I said, I would converse and tell them about the, what, the activity south of the river. And with a moonlit night, we could look out through the bushes and you could see the river. Just mm. And so your dad finally comes and goes, well, we've got to make a decision. Uh, if we stay here, we'll be found in the morning. Mm. And my thoughts then were, well, okay, just saw a couple of dead NBA bodies up there that uh, if they get me, they're going to say, oh, you're the forward air controller that did all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't know if I'll be captured or shot. Mm -hmm. And uh, he goes, the other choice is we can go across the river. But he goes, you can see, or we can see the river. So you know that the North mm -hmm. Vietnamese have people stationed all along the river mm. that would just shoot anything that they see moving mm. in the river. And he said, the last option is we go back from where we came from mm. because we knew that was a safe area, that they had moved down through it coming mm. south from Quang Tree. So that's what we decided to do. Mm. Is uh, So your dad would leave. He would go scout and uh, come back and say, okay, follow me. Yeah. So we just up into the first field, got into the next field after the second tree line. And as we were getting to uh, the third tree line, that's when we came across those bomb craters. Mm. And I go, wait a minute. Yeah. What had happened was Vietnam runs northwest to southeast. So when the Arvin Rangers started moving, they basically went straight south, meaning they went into all of the enemy mm. activity that I had seen. Yeah. If they would have gone on a southeasterly heading, they would have avoided this stuff. Yeah. 
So I said, I told your dad, I said, we have to head east, just get away from this area. Yeah. So it was probably, oh, maybe an hour and a half before sunrise, and uh, we passed the the last tree line and got out into the open and then we just started moving up north and all of a sudden we came to a a grave site and the way the Vietnamese did it uh, because this was out on just the the plains you know with the the gulf right there sort of like New Orleans, is that if you dug down probably two or three feet, it'd be water. Yeah. So they had, they raised, they were raised uh, platforms for where they did their burials, and they were uh-huh. round, round mounds. Okay. So we found one of those that had been abandoned because of the war. The people had left uh, yeah. the little villages there, and it was all grown up with bushes. Yeah. So we crawl into the middle of this. And uh, so, you know, it was one of those things as we started out our journey of heading up north. You know, one of the last things I said to the FAC was, well, the one, the forward air controller that was covering yeah. at night said, well, we're about to start moving. <laughs> I hope to talk to you in the morning, yeah. but I uh, have no idea what's going to happen. Wow. So uh, I will hopefully see you in the morning. Yeah. So we get up there, get into these grave sites, into these bushes, and uh, so I get back up on the radio, and there's nothing. Oh. Uh, you know, they had said, oh, we'll be we'll be back at first light, but... Again, it was they were doing planning. They were trying to get all of the search and rescue forces together and how, you know, the plan that they wanted to do. Well, uh, it just so happened at the time there were another forward air controller, but they flew jet fighters, flew F-4s. I think they were called Wolfaxe. So there was a wolf fac, and the reason that they started using the fast-moving forward air controllers was that uh, they would go up into North Vietnam, and okay. so their survivability was a whole lot more than yeah. us slow-moving facts. Yeah. But he comes up on the, the radio, and, he, well, hey, I'm, I'm here. Uh, you know, I'll just stay here until you know, the other ones show up. So this Wolfpack probably spent an hour and a half to two hours with us. Mm. Uh, mm. He went and had to refuel two or three times. But a couple of times, uh, our position, we were up a little bit on a on a little rise, yeah. and so we could see good to the west, and we could see good to the, to the south, yeah. and to the west, just to our west, was a, an open field, and then there was a tree line, and all of a sudden, uh, we see about three or four NVA soldiers mm. come out of that tree line and start coming across the field right to us. Wow. So I called up this wolf and said, hey, 
you got our position. I said, if you look just west in that field, you're going to see some folks coming across. <laughs> and they, uh, they had a 20-millimeter gun. And so he said, I got him, and he rolled in and strafed. I don't know if he got any, but uh, they turned around and went back. And uh, so, you know, that was one of the things. If I hadn't have spotted those bomb craters, yeah, we probably would have walked right into that command post. Right. So uh, <laughs> then another interesting thing, as we were sitting there, south of us, we hear a whistle. And then, oh, half a mile away, hear another one. And then these whistles just keep going and sort of merge. And all of a sudden, out of this southern tree line, here come two more NVA troops coming up to us. And, you know, me not having the uh, ground experience, as they start coming, I ask your dad, well, you guys going to shoot these guys? (laughs) And uh, he goes, no. I go, what? He goes, if we do that, they will know right where we are because mm. right now we're concealed. Nobody knows where we are. Mm. That's probably a good idea. It's a good <laughs> thing I don't have a gun. Uh, but so these guys were actually just scouts. Okay. So they went by us and then just up to the north and over a ridge line. And I guess, you know, they were just going to be watching to see what was happening yeah. on the South Vietnamese side. And finally, uh, mm. the, the, the slow fact moves up and uh, shows up on, on station overhead. And so I start talking to him, and uh, he said, well, the, the search and rescue forces are coming, and we'll come in to, to get you. So, but in the meantime... You know, I had told him about, you know, all of this stuff by the river and south of the river. So he just started putting in airstrikes. Yeah. Uh, and there was uh, an ordnance mixture in Vietnam that was called Snake and Nape. Okay. And uh, what it was was Mark 82s, which were 500-pound bomb that were high dragged, where they had fins come out, really accurate munitions, mm-hmm. and then... Nape was napalm, right. uh, where you know it just you would put a section on fire, you know, of just uh, burning stuff. So they started. He started putting in airstrikes, and we were close enough where we could just hear the AAA shooting at them. So you know, What's I was AAA again. Okay, that was anti aircraft oh, fire. Okay, okay. Right. The the guns were shooting okay. at them, okay. and. Uh, so I would just call that out of just, hey, they're shooting, they're shooting to see because if then airplanes overhead would spot it, you would just let them roll in on yeah. that target because they had eyes on where their position were was. So, uh, oh, sometime in the morning, uh, well, it wasn't too, but a, a group started coming off again from the right from that tree line toward us so what they did was they put napalm on that field to the right and napalm south of us wow it was 
close enough to where, you know, momentarily with all that fire, it uh, sort of took the oxygen out of the air. Yeah. Uh, but uh, then finally the, the search and rescue forces show up, the Sandys, the A1s, yeah. and uh, with the helicopter. So I brief them and say, you know, come in, stay north of, north of the tree line, I'm going to flash you, and I'm going to put out a marker. We had panels. They were orange panels, which were probably about three feet by five feet that okay. you could put on the ground as a, to mark your position. Yeah. So as they come in, I see Sandy 1 and Sandy 2, and flash, we got your position. And they come in, and next thing I hear is we've got to look around. Oh, <laughs> And I go, <laughs> oh my gosh, go get the helicopter and get us out of here. <laughs> get, you know, and uh, got to look around. So they came in and they turned south over the river and then they turned east going back out to the sea. And so they're in a trail position where Sandy 1 is in front, Sandy 2 is behind, probably about 500 feet or so. And all of a sudden, I see these two corkscrew smoke trails mm. come up, and you know, then I called break, break, and they both started. But all of a sudden, both of these airplanes, I just see the front engines explode, mm. and the next thing I see is, pump, two ejection seats go out and mm. two shoots. Yeah. So now there's two more guys south of the river yeah. that. Uh, and there was a little silence on the radio, and the forward air controller comes back up and goes, well, you're on hold. <laughs> the uh, search wow. and rescue guys say they're going to get their pilots out first. Wow. And uh, so that was a whole goodness another thing. Uh, and by now it was probably, I don't know, 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning. So... It probably took an hour or so, and those guys have amazing stories. And in fact, I am thinking about putting all this in a book. Oh, that, I, I uh, hope you do, yeah. That uh, people over the years have said about that. Yeah. So we are then on hold. Yeah. And they did actually get those two guys out. Yeah. But the amazing part about it was after they were shot down, the Jolly Greens, because like I told you, weren't the most maneuverable mm -hmm. helicopters, they said they weren't going to come in because mm -hmm. it was too risky to be able to come in with both the AAA, the anti-aircraft mm -hmm. fire, and then the missile. Yeah. Well, the FAC found an Army helicopter just probably about 30 miles south of where we were, uh, there was a, a cavalry, uh, an arm, army cavalry, yeah. armed cav, cav base. And so they found what was called a UH-1, a Huey. Yeah. And so he came in and picked up both of those guys, uh, dropped them off, and... Uh, then on the way back, FAC goes, okay, 
we've got this army helicopter who's yeah. coming in, and he's going to pick you up and then go. And somehow out of, out of all of this, I guess I had never really let people know that, you know, it wasn't just they, – they thought that I was with some, you know, South Vietnamese. Yeah. So they were just really going to come pick me up and take oh, me out. And, okay. And so I go, well, wait a minute. I go, wow. there's more of me down here. <laughs> and they go, what do you mean? I said, well, there are three more Americans here. And, uh, you know, you get us all, or I guess I'll be staying with these guys because <laughs> I'm not going to give their position away. Yeah. And so... <laughs> Okay, wait a minute. This changes a few things. <laughs> so what had actually changed, and then I told him about the two other Arvin. So you know, with six of us there, yeah. we couldn't all fit together on on one of the UH ones. So they had to find another one. So they found another one, and uh, mm. so they come on on the radio, and I brief them. Come in north of the river. Stay low. I'll have the panel out. I'll flash you. So they come in, and fact, we got your mirror. We got your panel. So they sat down, and this Joe Bergstrom and the two Arvin get on the lead helicopter, and myself and your dad and Lieutenant Nahay get on the second helicopter. And we lift off, and all of a sudden, they just start gaining altitude, and they start turning to the south to mm. go over the river. Mm. And I'm pounding mm. on the back of this guy going, no, go north and stay low. Mm. And he just points out the window, and I see lead ahead. And so, you know, it's, you know, as a flyer, you know, you're a wingman, and you follow your lead. Yeah. So wow. they and that lead helicopter was probably maybe about a half a mile in front of us, okay. maybe quarter mile. And we crossed the river and it oh, just man. it sounds like the fourth of July. We're yeah. taking AAA fire like everything. Yeah. And all of a sudden yeah. you get south of the river and uh see this corkscrew mm-hmm. come up and it just hits the lead airplane and you just see it burst into a ball of flames and see the rotor come off and Mm. uh, just head to the ground. Well, the pilot on our helicopter just basically auto-rotated. And for helicopters, what that means is they just pop the power, pull the pitch back, and just sort of drop out of the sky. Mm. So we just drop, and we are just low level. We're probably 50 feet above the trees. Yeah. And as we're heading south again, it's just all you hear is gunfire. Yeah. And we're actually going along pretty good. Yeah. And all of a sudden, as I'm looking out, the, I was on the left side of the helicopter looking out the door. All of a sudden, up ahead... Here are, it was, I can't quite remember, it was three or four NVA tanks mm. that we were about to fly right over. Wow. And I can still visualize and still see that uh, 
all these guys, when they hear the helicopter, they, uh, <laughs> you can just see them, their heads turn. But the bad part about it was they, at least one or two of the, of the tanks, the Russian tanks, had a 12.7 machine gun up on the top that they used. Well, at least two of the tanks had the machine gunners sitting right there. Mm. So as we flew over, uh, just start hearing them shoot, and all of a sudden hear thud, thud, thud in the helicopter. <clears throat> and as I look up, uh, in the, you know, the our airplanes, uh, there's warning lights that go off when things yeah. go wrong. So, you know, you know, we call them emergency lights, warning yeah. lights. And so on this UH-1, right along the glare shield, which was a little thing that stuck out, which provided some shade so you could see the instruments, but that's where the UH-1 had its emergency lights, its warning lights. And I see all these lights go on, and I go, well, if it means the same thing in a helicopter yeah. that it means in a in a fixed wing, we're not long for the sky. Yeah. And uh, it probably was a minute or two later, we just auto-rotated into a rice paddy. Uh, the good thing about it was that line of tanks was at that time the southernmost extent of where the NBA were. Okay. So we basically, when we landed probably two to three miles south, mm. were in good guy territory. Okay. And then the FAC found some Army Cobras, which were gunships that the Army used, uh, helicopter gunships. Okay. And he found a four-ship of those, and they came into the area, and uh, they started just circling us. And... They were there for our protection. If anything yeah. moved, they were going to shoot it. But then he, the FAC had to find another helicopter yeah. to come and pick us up. And uh, he finally found an Army, it was an observation helicopter. Okay. It was called a Loach. And I forget exactly, an OH-1 or something like that okay. was the designation but this was, it couldn't carry a lot of folks. So, yeah. you know, there were the three of us, and then I think the helicopter had, there were four that okay. were the crew. So what he did was he came in and he picked up your dad, Lieutenant Nehe, myself, and flew us probably about five, six miles farther south hmm. and dropped us off in an open area. And then he went back to get the other guys. Oh, okay. And in the meantime, they had found another UH-1, and they got him to come into our position. Okay. And so they picked us up and then took us down to the cab base. Wow. So that, uh, you know, it's one of those things to where, uh, you know, you just, uh, you know, as got older and then accepted the Lord, just, uh, you know, his hand was in everything. Yeah. That he had a purpose that was going to be fulfilled, and, you know, that uh, that's why it happened. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you. 
Bill for um, being there for my dad. And uh, I'm so glad God used you to help save him. And I'm so glad that, you know, you made that prayer and you gave, you know, God that room to operate to completely transform your life, which you mentioned off air really happened seven years later. Um, this is going to be the hardest part of this interview is could you just in like a couple of minutes uh, just sort of tell us about your your faith in Christ? Like I said, that's the hardest thing. But uh, how can you sort of summarize that for someone who's listening and and the difference that Christ has made in your life? Well, you know, I want to say that, uh, you know, after that happened and after saying that prayer that, man, yeah, the light went on and, yeah. and I went to to Jesus right away. But it, it wasn't, uh, you know, we, uh, and, and the, I'm going to say just another little sidelight was my wife was six months pregnant with mm. our first boy mm. uh, at that mm. time when that happened. So oh, mm-hmm. the Lord, you know, spared me to be able to see him and right. raise him. But uh, I I got off of active duty uh, and went to be with the guard in Battle Creek, Michigan, okay. flying for them as a full-timer. And uh, there was a few problems of just wanting to really you know we were going to church yeah. but uh we had a little bit of of difficulty to where my wife was one religion and I was another mm. and we went to talk to her pastor and mine and we got two different stories mm. and so it just again a god thing yeah. uh two of the guys that were in my guard unit, one of them was a full-time with me, were very, very firm believers. Yeah. And they were going to a Bible church at that time. Well, they invited Debbie, my wife, their, their wives, to go to a Bible study. So she started going to this Bible study with the, the two, Chris and Wanda, and uh, she came to know the Lord mm. through that. Mm. Uh, I was still a little stubborn. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> unbeknownst to me, this one guy said, hey, do you like to play racquetball? So, yeah, you know, I like. Yeah. So he said, well, I've got a friend that, you know, likes to play too. Do you mind? We can do a threesome of racquetball. No, that'll be fine. Well, he just happened to be the pastor of this Bible church. <laughs> That's great. So, That's uh, great. so we started uh, playing racquetball together, and then Debbie and I said, "You know, why don't we just start going to this Bible church so we can go as a family?" Mm. So we started going and uh, got into a Sunday school class by a very godly man mm. by the name of Jim Jim Weens. And really started growing. Uh, But there was going to be a Bill Gothard seminar up in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And so Jim comes to us and said, where you guys are now, I really think you need to go to this. Mm. Well, that was back in the day when uh, we didn't have a whole lot of money. And 
the interesting thing about it was about a day or two before the final yes, we get a refund check in the mail oh. from our insurance company, <laughs> which was the exact amount oh my of the gosh. conference. Wow. The exact amount. Yeah. yeah. So it's, well, I guess the Lord wants us to go. Right. So we attended this conference, and I don't know if you've ever been or ever heard, but the Saturday of the conference, toward the end, Bill Gothard goes over the plan of salvation. Mm. And, uh, you know, uh, do you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yeah. And so that is where I did it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was one of those things of just, you know, realizing that, uh, you know, your life really isn't your own. Yeah. And that uh, when you finally realize, hey, yeah, what they say about uh, being a sinner, I'm, I'm right there. Yeah. I'm one of the chief sinners. Yeah. So then, you know, we just spent, uh, well, we spent about another six years there in Battle Creek, mm -hmm. just growing. And I still remember, you know, finally having sermons that were out of the Bible instead of just mm. reading a Bible verse and then just, you know, having sure. a pastor just say personal stuff. Right. But I still remember one of the first things after really starting to learn the Bible, read yeah. the Bible, was the story of Noah. Mm. And for all these years of growing, I knew the story of Noah. Yeah. Hey, in the ark, saving these animals, yeah. and then, you know, God saved them. But the rainbow yeah. of not, did not have any idea that the rainbow meant that God was never going to flood mm. the earth again, mm -hmm. that he was never going to destroy everything on it, that right. he had something else that will be coming. But uh, so it was just, you know, just amazing yeah. to just do it. And so we left uh, Battle. We left Battle Creek, and we went down to uh, Shreveport, Bossier, Louisiana. Uh -huh. And so we became part of a Bible church there, which was a, just a growing church. When we first started going, there were probably about fifty people. Yeah. But uh, started teaching Sunday school. Yeah. Uh, we started teaching kids at first, and then I did a high school Bible, you know, the Sunday school. Yeah. And we started going on some mission trips, got to go down to Mexico for a few times. Okay. And, you know, so it's then just trying to, to walk with the Lord and right. serve Him in, in whatever capacity that, we, you know, we find ourselves. Right. And then when we moved to Norman, Oklahoma now, we are in a, a church, Wildwood Community Church there, where, again, the same thing of just uh, yeah. leading a care group, yeah. teaching kids, yeah. uh, being on the missions board to be able to support missionaries worldwide yeah. and have gone on a couple of mission trips there down to Brazil and over <laughs> to Latvia. Yeah. Uh, so of just, you know, wherever the Lord goes and where, mm. whatever the Lord leads us to do, yeah. you know, that's what we want to try to do and be faithful. And, you know, 
I can't say that, uh, you know, still sin, still sure. there, still have to ask forgiveness. Sure. That's why First John 1, 9, you know, if you yep. confess your sin, he is faithful and just to I forgive see. us. And, uh, you know, you, you go from there. But uh, the big focus and, you know, it, one of those things to where, uh, you know, faith, seeing, you know, what you really are believing, what you really can't see. Yeah. But it's real, and the Lord Jesus Christ will help you out. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good. All right. Well, Bill Jankowski, thank you for being here with us today and sharing these stories. I think they are really important. I hope you do get to write that book. So we're we're really glad to, you know, just have you document that for us too, as you share with us. And then as you write down your thoughts and I've enjoyed my dad's, you know, writing down and getting thoughts, just to have a better understanding. And then just ultimately it's, you know, from my perspective as a six year old kid in 1972, just looking back and just being so grateful for God's uh, plan. And as I've said, when I was talking to my mom and dad, I know that wasn't the plan for everybody. I know God didn't answer all the prayers the way that we would want to have them answered, but I still see God at work, and I pray for those people that still have those wounds and those hurts and are maybe angry at God, maybe, well, why? Great for you, but why didn't God send a Bill Jankowski out of the sky for my dad or whatever the case may be? And I I pray for them just because God is so much bigger um, than our prayer request that we want answered a certain way. Did you want to say something to close us out? Yeah, I was yeah. just going to say that uh, just last weekend I was in Colorado Springs. Yeah. And it mm. was to attend a memorial service for one of the electronic warfare officers that was on BAT-21. Whoa. And that airplane has never been found, Mm. so his family Mm. has never had remains to be able to bury. But uh, there were six kids uh, there, Mm. brothers and sisters, Mm. and so I got to meet them, and after the ceremony, we probably spent an hour and a half to two hours of just going Mm. over, allowing them to ask questions. Yeah. And being able to try to help them get some closure. And there's an organization, I don't know if you know, but called Gold Star Families. Yes, my dad has talked about it. Which is, you know, trying to help people out, Mm. families out of Mm -hmm. those that have lost loved ones in the war. Yeah. So it was a, a really, really great time to be able to let them know what I saw yeah. And, you know, to just let them know that their dad was a hero. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good, Bill. All right. Well, thank you again so much for sharing what you could with us today. Um, I want to remind you, for, for me, just understanding how even just seeing prayer works, and then it's so um, it's just so great to hear Bill Jankowski's sort of perspective and just get extra details and different layers of the story and knowing that ultimately um, God is at work, that gives me a great, great hope. 
And so I want to remind you of whatever it takes for you to think of that hope that God has done in your life. Just take some time, take some moments and think, wow, God did this for me. Maybe it was 20 years ago. Maybe it was almost 50 years ago. Maybe it was two days ago. Maybe you've just forgotten something. So easy just to get on with life and forget that, wow, God came through for me yesterday. God did this thing. So I want to encourage you just to sit back and say, Jesus, you've done a lot for me. And think of three specific things, whether it's a very recent, long time ago. Just thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Take in that great hope that we have. And out of that great hope, we want to be very bold. And that's what Bill Jankowski has been, and that's what we're trying to be. And we'll close this with the show. And you can reach out to me, Steve, at VeryBold.com. You can email me, Steve, at VeryBold.com. But we close, uh, we think about the Apostle Paul, and we think about all the difficult things at the times that he should have been killed for his faith and was spared until he was finally um, executed for his belief in Jesus Christ. We think about Paul and how he talks about that great hope and we think about his boldness and Bill Jankowski's boldness and my mom and dad's boldness and now your boldness. Think about that great hope. Second Corinthians 3.12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Very Bold Radio and Podcast with your host, Steve Teal, bringing encouragement through God's Word and through inspiring interviews. Go to VeryBold.com for information and updates and email Steve at VeryBold.com. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.